The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission, who remains deeply committed to the work of justice for the oppressed. To find out more about the work of IJM or to follow them on social, head to IJM.org. Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Kaufholz, and it is such a joy to be with you today as we welcome our very special guest, my very good friend, Nikki Toyamasito. Nikki is the executive director at Christians for Social Action, CSA. At CSA, they combine biblical scholarship with astute policy analysis to further economic justice, support interdependence, promote racial and ecological justice, and generally just try to make the world a better place. I love the work that CSA is doing, and we will talk about that a bunch during our time together. Before coming to CSA in 2017, she served in leadership positions at International Justice Mission, which is where I met Nikki, also with the Urbana Conference and InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Nikki is an incredibly accomplished justice leader, writer. She writes on leadership, gender issues, and multi-ethnicity for various magazines. We will link to all of her work in the show notes. For those of you that are longtime listeners of The New Activist, you may recognize Nikki as she is one of the early architects of this show. In fact, she conducted some of our very earliest interviews and set the groundwork for what is the show you're listening to today. She is someone I'm very close to and have learned a great deal from, and that continues today. Here is Nikki Toyamasito. Nikki Toyamasito, this is this feels good to have you back on the show. Welcome back to the show that you helped create. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> I love this. This makes me so happy. Um, people just heard your whole bio in the introduction, but uh-huh. if you will allow me a, a bit of a personal inquiry, it is worth noting to listeners that have listened to the show for a while that you are the architect of the new activist. You <laughs> conducted the first interview. You were the first producer. You really took a very much a seed. I don't know what's before a seed, but the early something of an idea and <laughs> made it into a show. Well, first of all, do you have do you remember like our conversation of good stuff and all of that? Okay, I I remember there was a really moist piece of cornbread uh, that I was eating while we were having some sort of profound. See now, that's interesting. That's a detail I did not remember. Well, because you weren't eating you my cornbread. The cornbread. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's right. You were eating your cornbread. <laughs> so you and I are in the midst of many hours of conversation about this podcast many, and many, many. And deep, I mean, well, first of all, there's this whole incredible team. You and I happen to be just having dinner together, but there's a whole team of people that for- True, that's right. Like a whole, like really smart people. Superstar team. Nine, yes. nine months, really smart people were dissecting, like, why would we need another podcast in the world? That's right. And so we go, we go to good stuff. And finally, uh, you, it was amazing to me, because you just broke the dam and you just said- we just need a conversation for people that just want to be learn about activism and want to go and change the world. And we just need to host conversations. And 
it was profound because we had talked around so many millions of options for why a podcast could exist, but Mm -hmm. you just said that. (laughs) And so I guess the question is, in a world, I mean, this was 2016, podcasts Uh were popular. It was like post-serial, but not like it is now where there's millions, but there were still a million plus podcasts. Why, what made you over a piece of cornbread feel like the world needed another podcast about activism? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, and actually I remember one of our guests, the early guests that we booked kind of posed that exact same question, (laughs) kind of like another podcast, like really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't we good? (laughs) Man, yeah, there was, oh, there was so many conversations kicking around audience, purpose, vision, you know, all, all right. these kind of like ethereal things. But I think when I came down to it, um, you know, there was something for me, I just felt like um, the narrative around getting involved in justice and all this kind of stuff, I think people had good ideas of what to do if you had certain kinds of skills, like if you're a teacher or doctor or a lawyer, um, mm. you know, people kind of knew what to do. But I just felt like there's so many people that I would meet who'd be like, I want to, you know, work for justice, but blah, blah, blah. And I would meet these extraordinary people like, you know, someone who works at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, you know, someone who could green light millions of dollars towards the cause. And they're like, I just don't feel like I'm in a strategic place. Or, you know, someone who had some mad skills about something else. And, um, And I just felt like, there were so many ways that people could do amazing good uh, in the places where they were and that hmm. people just sort of didn't realize like this amazing gifts. Um, so I, I think that's kind of, you know, the hmm. whole like, let's just talk to lots yeah. of folks doing the stuff and, you know, how did they find their journey? But I think also to sort of stir the pot, stir the imagination. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and I just, it was interesting too, because if people go back and listen, the very first interview was you sitting down with Eugene Cho. Right, yes. And I just remember watching the show unfold uh-huh. in that moment, uh-huh. because you kind of understand it, it, it as a thesis. I understood what you were saying, but then I watched it happen. And I don't know if you remember many of the kind of moments of that conversation. But what was interesting is I just, we just spoke to Eugene again at the end of 2020. Oh, is that right? And, uh-huh. and he remembers it really well. Oh, is that right? He, he, it was interesting because he said, he said, oh, you got me boohooing in the first episode. And he was, he was like, that was a really emotional, personal interview. And it really made me think about, and I'm very loosely quoting him uh-huh. here, but uh-huh. like why he, wh- why he would even take up the name activist and what does it mean? I just remember sitting in that ballroom watching you interview him and just realizing like, oh man, this is a thing I've never heard before. So <laughs> I, thanks for I, ho- getting- I hope we didn't do permanent damage to Eugene Cho. That would, that would be a pity <laughs> no, no, for no, no. the greater no, good, no. really. <laughs> oh, he is he is brilliant. Um also as a side note, in that same exact conversation, I said, Okay, Nikki, I've got the best name for the show. Why don't we call it the new advocate? And uh-huh. you just politely said, like, <laughs> no. No, that's not the right name. How about the new activist? And it was like, oh, yeah, there we go. So thanks also for saving the branding, just from a real high-level branding. New advocate, it doesn't feel right. New activist is right. So, um, okay, so rewinding a bit before, uh, before you know, podcasting, which I don't think was the highlight of your whole career, but it was oh, a highlight but of, it sure, for me. I mean, it sure was a lot of fun. I, honestly, I feel like one of the things I love to do is come alongside creative folks and 
you know, try to be supportive and help the dreams go because I, I feel like, oh, anyways, yeah. that's what it felt like I got a chance to kind of walk alongside the new activists and you. So, so I, I want to rewind a bit. So before podcasting and current the current work that you're doing, which we'll get to, it has, I've never known this about you, but you went to Stanford, you got a mechanical engineering degree. Uh, so during those years, it would appear as though the trajectory of your life may have been different, or at least you thought it was different because you were studying mechanical engineering. First of all, is that accurate? Were you <laughs> yes. on a completely different path or was it just like you knew you were going to always do this and mechanical engineering was just what you fell into? <laughs> no, just I've, a I side mean, I've, hustle. I've heard folks say you use 10% of your undergrad and it's like, oh yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't intend to be doing, I don't even know what you call what it is I do now. Uh, that, that was not in the plan. But you know, the thing that was interesting, I went, in, I went into my undergrad uh, with sort of a certain vision of what I wanted to do when I graduated. And I just had mm -hmm. this totally like transformative um, experience on campus of uh, particularly like this amazing spiritual awakening of like, oh my goodness, I'm like in this community of people who read the Bible and then like actually believe like it's true and like do things. And mm. um, and that was just eye-opening for me uh, coming from like a youth group kid or whatever. Anyways, I changed so much in those four years. And then um, senior year, I got a job offer from like my dream company. There was like the dream company that I had when I came in. And I was like, really? Like, I, I just had this weird experience of I've changed so much. But have my dreams not changed at all? Um, mm. So that I mean, that kind of kicked me off into this sort of soul searching sort of a thing. But yeah, I graduated uh, Stanford in mechanical engineering, which I have to say, on campus was the artsy fartsy of the engineering. <laughs> so I don't know. Oh, if, really? I I don't Got know it. what people's. I mean, but it's still engineering. So I mean, how far can you go? In you truth. Know? I have no idea what a mechanical engineer is, just to be completely <laughs> transparent. So, okay. But Any, so, anything yeah. in front of you, a mechanical engineer might have made. Oh. So, oh, furniture, wow. desks, that's a, stuff. That's like neat. Any stuff a mechanical engineer might have made. By the time you graduate, do you know you're not pursuing a mechanical engineer job? No. Like, as your first job? So, yeah. So, I, I totally didn't know. I mean, I even did oh. an internship at John Deere Tractors for a summer. Um, Neat. So design, manufacturing, like all that kind of stuff. Um, my passion was furniture design, uh, which is huh. sort of a mechanical engineering, but not really. Um, it's more of an industrial design kind of a thing. But um, I, I mean, my first job uh, out of college was actually in engineering. And uh, I, w I worked for um, a medical device firm that helped. Uh, so it was in Northern California, and it was just like the heyday of um this is the first silicon valley boom and oh. um and they they people couldn't hire enough engineers uh they used to have ads at the movie theater before the movie starts of hey are you an engineer hey come work with us we'll give you a bmw <laughs> as a signing bonus i mean like they just couldn't find enough people um wow so yeah it was uh that area was also a big biotech uh kind of a thing so that was my first job out of college was um was both working in campus ministry part-time and then, but being an engineer kind of by day. Yeah. So then can you help, because there are people listening that I feel and know are in the exact same spot. Like they're sort of in this world of a major that they've chosen or, and a job that they're in because of that major. But at the same time, there's some 
other movement happening. Can, can you help uh, understand what led you from being an engineer and fully on that vocational path to then finally like work that you ended up doing with Urbana and InterVarsity and IJM and CSA? Like, how does that trajectory happen? And what are the decisions you had to make along that route? I know. It's are like, you saying that's like? Is that? Are you saying that's <laughs> like not what people do? <laughs> well, I think it's actually like incredibly common. And that's the thing uh-huh. is like, how did you not just lock into the expectations on yourself, the expectations on maybe that people had for you yeah. and, yeah. and really change up the whole thing? Yeah. Cause now you're using 10% of your degree instead of being an engineer. <laughs> well, yeah. So I went into engineering because I could. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I pursued this degree and there, there was kind of this like, oh, because I can. Um, so, uh, and honestly, I mean, at Stanford, I, I tried every single engineering type cause I had no idea what any of them were. Um, yeah. so like I was each major for like a month, um, which looking back is really sort of ridiculous. Um, but <laughs> you know, I think I, I think I was sort of just trying out a lot of things. Um, but there was something in the mechanical engineering that really stuck. It was uh, and particularly kind of the creative uh, design elements of it that I, I just really loved. And I, I, liked, um, I liked making things that were practical. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a parallel to what I do now. But, um, you know, one of the things that happened for me was um, I worked at this mechanical engineering firm, which was, you know, it was really a great setup because um, – it was a small shop and uh, the whole engineering department, which is just like three or four of us, we were all uh, Christian. So we were all there really intentionally. Like we, um, we were all trying to kind of do good with the skills that we had and to sort of be intentional and live out like our values and, um, and, and I don't know, just kind of uh, show up as kind of our full, our full life. So I, I've met people there who were, um, super strong in their faith and just ha- uh, really had some strong values or so intention or purpose with their life. And they loved engineering. Like, <laughs> mm. and I could hang yeah. with them and I could chat with them, but I didn't love engineering like they did. Like, so the th- yeah. the line I think of is um, Eric Little in Chariots of Fire, which is like an old, 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 it's an old person's movie and it's, you know, it's an old movie, but <laughs> I mean, it was all the rage, I guess maybe to age me. Um, uh, Eric Little talked about when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Mm. And I felt like that was descriptive of the folks that I worked with. And that was helpful for me to see folks who had sort of similar uh, postures toward the world, similar skill set. But I was like, oh, like they, when they engineer, <laughs> they feel yeah. God's pleasure. You know, they just love it. And for me, it was like, it's something I can do. I could totally right. do this. I could do this well. I would enjoy doing it. Um, but then I had a little bit of an experience where, um, I went to the office um, of the guy who leads the the firm, and he uh, he said, "Hey, Nikki, look at that catalog over there." And it's a like Christie's catalog, uh, the auction house. He goes, uh, "See that watch? See that watch? I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that on Friday." It was like a ten thousand, twenty thousand dollar watch, and I kind of wow. had this moment where I was like, "Wow, I'm like, I'm working how many hours a week so this guy could buy that watch." And mm. I think for me, something kind of clicked of like, well, I'm, I'm like a person of faith and I sort of feel like watches are cool and great and fancy watches are fancy. <laughs> but I think 
I I felt like I think I want to be a, a part of something different and that has a different impact. I want to be a part of something that's, um, I guess how I would think about it is like that that lives on beyond me, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and so that was where I had a moment. I was like, wait, where where have I experienced that in my life? Where have I experienced um, kind of change that or impact that's like really, I don't know. It's just, I'm going to cut, maybe it was more meaningful or deeper or more lasting. And I got, well, I don't know. Um, but I know that I'm like totally different because of the campus ministry that I was a part of. So I'm going to hang out there uh, until I find out what to do. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll just, you know, hang out there until I find out the next thing. So I think it's just like a little bit of a, okay, I'm just going to move to the next thing. I don't know what, you know, I didn't have like a huge plan. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that happened uh, in the midst of that is just just before I decided to kind of make that shift out, um, I was on a project that ended up doing really well. Um, we were developing uh, medical devices for heart disease, and uh, we created a well, a doctor created, and I was a part of a team of engineers that helped develop this um, this device, and we patented it and. Uh, it ended up getting sold for like a ton of money. Um, wow. And I got faced with a bit of a question because as one of the designing engineers or just someone who is in the mix with this, I was um, potentially going to get like a windfall of a lot of money. Like uh, at the time, I think they were estimating it might go between one and $3 million. Well, um, this is life-changing money. Kind of, right? I mean. Yeah, I mean, that's real money. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, buy a boat. <laughs> um, Perfect. And uh, and I think that was the first time that I kind of had this like major um, clash of different values in my world of like my faith sort of said, hey, like money is not the answer to everything. And then the world was kind of like, are you kidding? Like lock that in and do whatever it is you want. And, uh, but the deal was like, I kind of, you know, that money was contingent on a lot of things. And part of that would have meant I would have needed to stay on for um, for a year or a little bit longer to sort of actually see that project come to fruition. Um, or I could leave, but I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't get that money. Um, and I just felt like, you know, my Christian faith talks about, um, talks about how God is like this great provider and how God is faithful to us and all this kind of stuff. And it talks about the danger of love for money. And I think I just sort of flashed forward and I thought, what kind of person will I be if in one year this project doesn't go the way I want it to go? What kind of a manager would I be for the other folks knowing like, I need this thing to lock up so I can get to doing the thing I want to do. And, and I just thought the only reason I'm going to stay is for money. And from my Christian tradition, that has another word, and that's, that's idolatry. So I was like, wow. okay, I need to say yes to Jesus. Um, and, and so I did. So I, I, at that point, I moved into Christian ministry. And uh, to be honest, I don't think I realized how many decisions I sort of made in that one. Um, but one of the things that happened in the first couple years following that is um, I worked with students. Uh, on these different poverty immersions, uh, going to learn from people and from communities, like what God was doing among the most vulnerable. So I would for a summer go and learn about what God was doing in the garbage village in Cairo, 
or the red light district in Bangkok or um, the slums of Kibeta in Nairobi, Kenya. And I had this amazing experience of kind of getting a glimpse into God's heart and seeing the amazing things that he was doing in and through his people in those places. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, so in Cairo, people put crosses on their wrist as kind of like a tattoo cross as kind of a way of saying, you know, I'd rather um, follow Jesus. I'd rather die than sort of deny following Jesus. And so they put that as a wow. reminder. And I feel like that summer was God's way of etching kind of his heart on my wrist. So that's the beginning of kind of the discovery of a lifelong calling that happened just, you know, a year or two after. And to be honest, I'm not exactly sure um, how I would have received kind of the amazing thing that God was doing among kind of the most vulnerable, the most marginalized in a society, really uh, the, the, the poorest in a community. If I had like one to $3 million sitting in a bank, back in the U.S. Um, so I, in some ways, I see something of God's grace in it. But to be honest, too, it was a, a tender and delicate decision when it actually happened. Um, so I, I, I didn't tell a lot of folks because I, I was barely hanging on to that yes. shred of conviction. And I thought anybody could sneeze and it would like, you know, toss me away from that conviction. <laughs> wow. The word justice is a massive word. And in what ways did you know especially in those earlier days, like what the manifestation of your your care for justice would look like, right? Because it's one thing to say like do justice and to care about it, but it's another thing to like actually put feet to pavement and help. How'd you know what you'd what you'd do and how'd you how you'd help? Yeah, I mean I think I think that was kind of um uh it, you know, there's questions that you have that you sort of live with. Hmm. And I think that continues to be like one of my like questions that's in my pocket you know, they kind of carry with me. Um, it's, it's sort of the same with like this idea of calling, you know, it's like, it's not like these things come to you super clear, but it's kind of things that you sort of live with. You take a step forward, you take a couple steps back and then clarity kind of comes in pieces. Um, so I think yeah. for me, and this is, <laughs> this is where I, I feel like, um, uh, the Jesus I know, the God I know is super gracious mm -hmm. and super patient and all that kind of stuff that there wasn't this like, hey, you know, justice is here. Are you in or are you out? Um, but that there is this small like, like, what's your posture, or your orientation? Like, um, so it's like, I don't know everything, but I know this, you know, and just acting on the small bit that, you know, so like for me in the very beginning, it was the, well, I don't know what to do, but I know that this worked in my life. So I know that this is, you know, at least in the direction of what I'm looking for. Um, so, you know, I, I think um, for me, clarity on justice and clarity on my calling have just been like, they're like twins in the womb. Um, they've grown and developed at the same time. So um, I think uh, to kind of pick up the story of, you know, I had that summer in uh, among the different uh urban poor or slum communities. And I just, I just knew enough to kind of go, wait a second. I had, you know, as an Asian American woman, I always felt like a little bit outside of the story here in the US. But then when I was in those communities, I was like, no, I'm totally American. And I've got all of these privileges or access to things. It's like, I need to do good by the stories that I heard. And so like the years following that, I just tried to be good, you know, like do good, uh, 
by that. Um, I tried to think about my decisions and I thought, if I had to talk to you know this woman that I met in Thailand, how would I explain to her you know my decision to buy this or to buy that? Hmm. Um, you know, so they just became like um, those stories and the people that I met uh, became, I guess, my anchors to land uh, to f- maybe to go overboard on on that other analogy. Um, and, and I think that was my small way of trying to find my way towards justice. You know, I turn on the tap and I sort of had this reaction of like. Oh my goodness! I have all this clean water, and I and I just water the lawn. Like what? Yeah. Um, you know, it, just having a lot of points of dissonance, and and when you had the points of dissonance, you could go, "I'm going to shut that thing down and watch another show because <laughs> I feel bad," or you can kind of go, "Wait, what can I do here in the place where I am?" So, um, so I I think the way I've stumbled upon something about what justice is, um has to do with the fact that I, I believe God totally intended for all of his people and his created beings to uh, to live in full flourishing in all areas of their life. And justice is making sure that those conditions are available so that people can choose to enter into this full flourishing that God totally intended for them, uh, to, for them to be present in their whole person, uh, to have right relationships with each other and with the created world. and. Um, with their government and and with themselves, so that that's how I've kind of stumbled in. But you know, the definition of justice for me really was informed by the people that I knew and trying to do right by them, um, and, and and to take other people's uh, the impacts to other people into my like as I'm thinking about decisions or choices um, to bring that really in as like a full member of that. So Nikki, you might be the most interesting person in the world. <laughs> I know that you would not agree. But I've known you for a long time. I knew none of this. We are we have 10 minutes left of the interview. We haven't even started. And I am so intrigued by other points of your life. I, I would spend multiple episodes just more on the arc of your life because I feel myself deeply tracking and thinking and considering and I know others are as well. But I want to make sure that we talk about the work you're doing now with Christians for Social Action. And I did in the voiceover at the beginning, kind of the, you know, the mission statement and all that stuff. Cool. So people have a sense of what um, CSA is. But I'm curious, what drew you specifically to to be the executive director at, at CSA? Yeah, absolutely. To do to do a bit of a hop, skip and a jump. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was trying to um, unpack a sense of calling that I had where I just had just a hint of it. And uh, wasn't exactly sure where it went. I worked for Urbana, uh, which is InterVarsity's like mission conference, and I felt like in that space, um, I could help call the next generation to sort of say, "Hey, what is it that you do have, and how can you be a part of what God is doing, particularly um, in some of these most vulnerable communities?" And then um, after that, I got an invitation to come over uh, to IJM's Institute. Um, for biblical justice and help communities think about um, justice. And that to me felt like a practical manifestation of what it was that I was trying to call people to in Urbana. And then um, from there, I got invited uh, to join uh, Christians for Social Action. And that to me was um, this really uh, great opportunity to continue on with the practical work that I was doing within IJM, but it opened up my portfolio to uh, more issues of justice that I also felt like, oh, I think there's these other ways that I think 
uh, these different issues talk to each other and wanted to kind of be able to engage in that. Uh, so um, Christians for Social Action uh, uh, has been a hand in glove fit for me. I think it's um, an organization that's like this group of scholar activists that are trying to stir the imagination for what it means um, to be a full follower of Jesus. Um, I, in some ways, I think um, that's during the imagination that we talked about for the New Activist podcast. Like, just very much like it's the same kind of a vein of like, um, how do we think creatively about? these values that we have and what it might look like lived out, but also a deep affirmation of folks of like, hey, like where you are and what you've got, like that's good stuff. Don't wish for someone else's stuff. Like um, that can be used for justice. Uh, and then, so I think of Christians for Social Action as kind of like the Harvard Biz Business Review for um, Christian activists. Like uh, what are some of the best practices of, um, these different things, and then how do we make it accessible for folks who are busy doing the good work and don't have the time or the interest to dig into like the scholarly side of this stuff? Um, but they're they're making things happen, you know. So I, I think that's part of what we try to do is um, be the scholar activist. Uh, I think on the other side, I think uh, scholars can be a little bit um, conceptual, um, mm. and so we try to say, hey, how does this matter or does that even matter in the real world? Um, and we try to put tangible actions for people to act on their faith. So I'm really hoping that people have like a faith-fueled engagement with justice um, and that uh, that they have, you know, compelling things to do in so many creative ways. But what I'm really about is helping people have like a justice orientation for their life. I'm not not so much about that they think this way and that way on a particular issue, but that they kind of know like, hey, I have no idea how to enter into this particular issue or conversation, but they have at least a few ways of kind of going, wait a second, like, where's Jesus showing up? Or uh, Jesus cared about the marginalized, like who in this is the most marginalized, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's some of the stuff they love doing uh, with Christians for yeah. social action. How do you choose which initiatives and programs to include in the work that CSA is currently doing? And I guess the follow-up is, are there any that are excluded or that just that don't have the ability right now to be properly executed on well by CSA? Uh, that's a good question. Um, part of what kicked off uh, Christians for Social Action is um, this, uh, you're going to love this name. It was a gathering called the Chicago Declaration for Evangelical Social Concern. And uh, yeah, it was just- it's a little wordy, <laughs> but very, totally, but to the point. It's like isn't not it? great for social media. So, like, it went no, nowhere in the, the 70s. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, anyways, there's this group of like um, Christian folks who were seeing this amazing stuff happening in Latin America around like um, what like Christians engaging with like all these justice issues. And they're like, wait, what do we think about this? So, they put together this thing. It's fascinating because it's like, super influential. The signers are like, oh, wait, I recognize some of those names. But on the other hand, it's this like, it's kind of um, a wordy document or whatever. But anyways, yeah. um, in that, and this is in the 70s, they said, we're going to be, as Christians, we're going to be committed to fighting racism, the promotion of women, the eradication of poverty, and um, anti-militarization in the United States. I was like, no way. Like, I can't. So um, those sort of things, uh, with the addition of um, engagement with kind of uh, environmental justice issues and immigration, those have kind of formed the core. So there's a few things that we've always been about. And, um, and then we've also kind of asked the question of 
where have uh, Christians really participated um, in, in things and how do we help folks engage with the things that are happening in their own backyard? Um, so that's kind of like the main frame. But in, in reality, it's not a, so much about the issues so much as it is the posture of like, hey, hmm. what, is, what does the Bible say or what does my faith say about this issue? And then how can I engage with it? Like, not just like as a hobby, but how do I have this orientation of like, wait, no, I believe that God cares about the vulnerable. Like, so how does that affect the choices I make? Big and small. Baked into that then, like to follow up to what you're saying, is that it is, it, the the mission is really to equip people of Christian faith, Christians for social action. And so I'm curious what is unique about the work that you're doing uh, with those who are Christian versus activists who even might be listening that are not of of people of faith. Like, what's the difference between a Christian and secular activist? And how how does the work differ, if at all, between those two uh, labels? Which I know it's hard to label people, but we're all on kind of a spectrum. But you understand. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I think um, I think that uh, Christian activists and um, Secular activists or activists who are animated by a different faith, they have a lot uh, to kind of um, that they can kind of give each other, which I think is fantastic. So, um, shoulder to shoulder, I think the work is great and similar and amazing. I'd say just for me, from kind of my Christian tradition, one of the things that I think about is um, I feel like that there's a way that um, secular activists look at justice and they look at like the human rights declaration, you know, like what is it people need? They need, you know, food, housing, access to uh, medical care, uh, you know, reasonable employment, you know, these sort of things. Um, but I, the thing that I have discovered um, from, you know, just reading more about Jesus and, um, and kind of unpacking like what is God's dream for this world is that uh, that God actually wants us to have even just more than our basics covered to be reasonably secure or or reasonably safe for these sort of things, that actually we're invited to be in relationships and in relationships where we are loved and, and that we give love, uh, to be in right relationship with ourselves. So that's just to me, um, there's an added layer of what I'm working for as I'm working with my you know definition of justice, that it's not just enough to be fed and clothed and um, secure, but actually, like, what does it mean to truly enter into flourishing? Um, so, I, I'd say that's one like gift that Christian activists give in the space, um, as well as they have like a spiritual fuel for the work. And you know, um, all activists really deal with burnout um, or with keeping hope in the midst of a lot of um, uh, deep challenges. So, I, that's where I feel like, oh, that could potentially be something that Christian activists bring to the table. That's sort of amazing. Um, on the on the other side, one of the things I've really appreciated and learned from activists from either other traditions or secular activists is there is an integrity to their justice calling and their justice orientation that I really appreciate. They might have the couple things that they're really passionate about, but they also apply this like justice principle or justice orientation to all areas of their life. Um, and I've I've really appreciated that because I, I have found that sometimes in some of the Christian spaces we can say oh we're about one thing but sort of be unjust in some other areas of how we kind of show up. Um, mm. So I've really appreciated I think uh, the integrity of that, and I think that's um, I so I've really appreciated partnering with. Um, activists of all stripes, because I do feel like there's different things that we see. But I, 
I think one of the things that is always a struggle um, that I hope that we're trying to do is um, we are always trying to both be really faithful in our advocacy and in our work, and at the same time, create space for um, the crazy intervention of God in this, you yeah. know? So like if everything we can, if we, everything we can do could be totally explained, then like, oh, it's because we're like hard workers and we hustle. Um, but sort of just leaving some room for like, you know what, I need to just be faithful. And there's something where God is unfolding God's story, you know, in this particular area. So Yeah. As you work inside of this, this space with Christians, uh, especially in these times, and correct me if you disagree with the statement I'm going to make, because I don't want to make this as fact if it's not. Oh, I know I'll disagree. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, and therein lies the question. Um, th- we are incredibly polarized, and we're not even just talking far left, far right, even the middle center of us. There's, It's just such an incredibly polarizing time on any number of justice issues. Um how how does CSA not just preach to the choir yeah. and people that agree with everything you are trying to bring into the world, but actually facilitate dialogues with people who are trying to learn, but also feel strongly and oppositely? How does that how does that work get accomplished? Yeah, totally. I think it's it's such a great. Um, I, I think that the polarization, particularly around justice issues. And I'd say particularly within kind of the community, the Christian community that I work within, um, you know, those things have really become opposites or, you know, all in or all out kind of a thing. And and I'd say one of the ways uh, that our team really tries to think about things is we try to find the sideways way into something. So where everything is like A or B, one or two, we like to try to like go backwards around it and into the side door <laughs> on these things. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the whole stirring the imagination. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's a way of trying to get it like, wait, what's actually at the heart of this? So it's, so I think it's like, if you believe this, this, and that, then yes, of course, this is going to become the, the conclusion. And I think the main thing we're trying to do is help people with these different perspectives, just hang with each other for a minute more than they normally would have. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not saying that like, oh, all sides are the same and have, you know, but um, that uh, particularly if you are bound under a similar Christian faith, then yeah. it, it just behooves you, you know, to just sort of unpack it just a little bit. You can totally disagree. And, but I, that's one of the things that we kind of try to do is um, at CSA, we, like our audience is okay with not having clarity. And our audience hopefully reads some articles that they actually totally disagree with. Um, but we're also, I think, one of the places where people get exposed to some of those opposite points of view. Um, and that's where we're always trying to help people ask better questions or to go deeper. Um, so like try to sidestep the talking points, try to uh, sidestep what others have decided you should think about this. And instead, like in friendship with Jesus, kind of go like, hey, what is going on here? And how can I just take one step in the direction of what is just? Um, so. I think we're like trying to help people with skills, you know, rather than have particular perspective. But one of the things we totally value, um, and we have these uh, different dialogues, we pull people from like, um, like this, we have this dialogue called Oriented to Love, and it's particularly around the divisiveness of LGBTQ um, participation or inclusion in the Christian church. And, you know, it, it truly is like we curate it for people of 
really different experiences and really different convictions. 12 folks, they journey together for yeah. 10 weeks. Then they have a, um, a weekend together. It's not an education to change people's minds, but right. for a lot of folks, it is an extraordinary transformative conversation that has to do with empathy. It has to be like, wow. um, sometimes people don't change their minds, but they come out much kinder after that. And, and I think also too, we're giving people access to different kinds of stories and experiences than they have access to in their immediate community. So I don't know, we, we're just people who clump, right? And, right. Um, yes. and I think that's part of the, you know, these competing narratives is, you know, we get clumpier and clumpier. Um, so <laughs> I think we're just trying to be people who are like, hey, you should totally talk to so-and-so, you know, like that kind of a thing. Yeah. So. That is incredible. Um, we, we are all out of time um, and I have a lot more questions. So I hope that, you know, if you write your memoir, you'll come back on the show again and let us continue <laughs> to ask questions. But uh, because I'm feeling nostalgic, uh, just hearing your voice and hanging out with you, the question, as you know, that used to close all of the shows was, how would you define activist? We don't ask it as much anymore, just because it seemed, I don't know, it just drifted. Uh -huh. But that was one of the early like things that we did was that was the last question. And so to close our time, both out of nostalgia, but mostly because I do believe you're very wise and I'd be curious to know how you would answer this, but how, Nikki Toyamasito, would you define activist? <laughs> so I think this was probably part of my trick of like, I'm trying to figure it out. So let's ask all these other people. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's a great question you would ask. It's, it's perfect. It makes us think and be better people. Yeah. I think uh, as I think about it now, how I define activist is somebody, somebody who dreams the dream of a different kind of a world and puts um, puts that dream into action or is taking steps towards that dream. So oh, I think that's what I'd define an activist. Well done. Or maybe... I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not trying to give you a grade on your answer, but that was the thought. <laughs> a plus, please. Let it be... A, no. Actually, if I could also add, there's this phrase that I yeah. love. It's called uh, dreamers that do. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think, oh, maybe that's that's sort of related. An activist is a, a dreamer who does. May we all be dreamers who do. Thank you so much, Nikki, for your work and your time today. To learn more about the work that Nikki is doing with Christians for Social Action, head to christiansforsocialaction.org. The link to that is in the show note. And make sure you follow Nikki on social. Again, all of that is in the show notes. Speaking of social, The New Activist is on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. All of our handles are New Activist Is, and our website is newactivist.is. If you have not done so yet, rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts is by far the best way that you can support the show and get other people to hear these important conversations. Head on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a favorable review and rating. I appreciate it a great deal. A massive thanks to Propaganda, who scored today's episode. Everything Prop, music, merch, coffee, everything can be found at prophiphop.com. Today's show was produced by Christina Gore, hosted and directed by me, with additional editing by Chad Michael Snavely. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Nikki Toyamasito, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends. Mm -hmm.